I'm Lacey. And I'm Kippen. We're two friends who love to get lost inside a great story. And we're welcoming you to our own little book club. This is One Page More, a podcast. All right. Well, Lacey, we're going to talk today about a foundational point of our friendship. Um, We're here to discuss Diana Gabaldon's Outlander. Okay, so how long has it been since you originally read this book? I'm pretty sure I read this book when you were pregnant with Echo, your first child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when was that, 2014-ish? Yeah, I had her in 2015. Um, I think I had read it for a while, and I had... And I was like, you must read this book. And then I I know that I read it in between having Echo and then getting pregnant with Lorelai because I I finished the book when we were flying to Paris, which was like 2016-ish. I don't even know. It's been so long. Okay, did you read this? I remember this was your pumping sessions, like these books. So was it with Lorelai or was it with Echo? Maybe I've got that switched. Um, so I then became like somewhat obsessed with the series and I read all of the series during Lorelai's like pregnancy and while I was pumping with her at work. Okay. All right. Well, then, then maybe that's more accurate to when I was, but I th- I had read it for a little while before you had, mm-hmm. and I sat on it and just kept being like, this book was so phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. So Outlander is a historical romance that centers around Claire and Jamie. So Claire is a um, World War II nurse that's come home from the war in the 1940s. She's on vacation with her husband, Frank, in the Highlands, and she puts her hand on a standing stone and it travels back in time where she meets Jamie Fraser, Highlander, <laughs> uh, and Dreamboat, and uh, the rest is history. The first book is what we're here to talk about. We just mentioned, how many, are, uh, did the ninth book just come out or the eighth book? Do you remember? I don't remember. It's been a really long time since I finished these books, like at least four or five years. Um, and I'm going to just say some of the books are good. Some of them are awful. Like, not awful, just long, they necessary. Can't hold a candle to the first book. Yes. Is exactly. the absolute way that it is. Yeah. And like, there are moments that shine through. All I can say is that I, this woman will finish a series if she likes the main characters. I, I just, there's something in me that I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to read this, but I must read it. <laughs> right. I think there's she. a lot, a lot out there. As, as the books progress, she also focuses on other uh, main characters. Where the first. Yes. At least the first two or three or so set on the. Yeah. You know, Jamie and Claire. But then you just get tired. Well, we didn't even get into this, but if you guys, if anybody out there wants to talk about the rest of the Outlander books, slide into my DMs. I am happy to tell you what I think. That would be at One Page More Podcast. Give us a follow <laughs> while we're discussing it. Exactly. Okay, so the 
the whole thing about this is it's a reread for both of us and it's been a while since we had read it and I don't know okay I think I can go out on a limb here and say for both pretty much for both of us this was like a five-star read the first go around definitely what would you give it for the second I I feel like I'm gonna have I've struggled with this because the first time I'm like did I just gloss over some of the very bizarre over sexualized points or the some of the very outlandish things that happened I just allowed it to pass me by because I was so swept up in the romance in the um in the adventure in the fantasy but yeah I I don't know I don't I hate, I'm like I kind of hate to knock it too much because it was great I, and I listened to it this 24 hour book 34 hour book in like four days um but I think I'm gonna have to give it like a three and a half to a four and a half or excuse me three and a half to a four somewhere between there gotcha so I too thought it was gonna be like hit me baby one more time because it's been long enough that I didn't I mean I remember the plot but not every little bit and we'll get there but I also listened to it and this is one of my favorite narrations ever but I my gosh this book is problematic like (laughs) and some of it I had issues with the first time and I remember talking to you about it and this time it's just I just couldn't put those things to the side and more so I just um had one of my good friends read it as well and I remember telling her like there's some really weird stuff in this book like really weird but the the central relationship is so powerful that it like kind of overwhelms the rest of it and like elevates the rest of the story but there are just and there are just so many things where I was like Diana Gabaldon you absolute freak why did you choose this of all things to make the plot of your book it could have been done a different way and I would say a more successful way I'm gonna give this a three and a half stars yeah I feel like I mean it's just as we get into spoilers it will be far more justifiable because yeah it just it just hit a different way this time I was like am I in a different stage of my life or what did I really just gloss past because I yeah, there was just several things. So it was just kind of like a question mark for me. Right. So this, which is sad because I, yeah. I needed to change my love to it. But anyway. Oh, I, and it, even more than me downgrading it from a five to a three and a half, I would really hesitate to recommend this book. I mean, it would have to be the exact right kind of person. I don't, I don't know. I would yes, I would say to who I did recommend this book not long ago to a um, to a good friend who did enjoy it, but not for that's for <laughs> I'm not even sure it's for me anymore, honestly, which sucks because there's still moments that I absolutely love in this in this story. But anyway, should you read it or should you listen to it? Resounding, listen to this book because I love the narration. Davina Porter is. I think she absolutely is my most favorite narrator of all time. She can somehow pull off a variety of accents, like male and female, and it sounds believable. 
How mm-hmm. can the woman do it? I don't know, but I love to listen to it. So yeah, definitely gotta listen. Me too. I love it too. And it, it's a long book. It's really, really long. All of the books are long. <laughs> ah, okay. It's time. We gotta go into spoilers. Okay. Whew. Well, we kind of tentatively talked uh, um, like over text and how we're gonna break it up by sentence. There's way what like the there's just too much plot to get into. I so I want to talk about the 40s Scotland. So 1940s. This is the very first bit of the book. This is like such a small blip, but it lays the foundation down. What are some things that you notice this time as a reread during uh, Frank and uh, Claire's time together? Okay, so the first thing. And this as a reread is, I don't actually understand why she decided to set Frank and Claire up in the way that she did with a long-term marriage when they've only been around each other a very small amount of time. But technically, they've been married for like five years. I think it's like eight years. It's like even longer. It's like a super. It's it's really long. And I actually think that the book would still remain successful and Claire might even be a little more... um, understandable sympathetic (laughs) of the character if they were a engaged couple going on a quick trip if they had if they had a whirlwind marriage where they didn't even know each other that well but they got swept into the very end of the war and had this like little trauma bond and got married quickly or you know i I absolutely agree with what you're saying like where she had been a nurse he was uh we don't really know exactly but i think it's kind of the vet. idea. I don't know. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like she kind of, because it almost kind of lays it out where like they, the last like five or six years, they had like basically no time together, right? Like they're yeah. it, like nobody did. Everybody's so engulfed in the war. The two of them have no kids, no attachments to any other people. So it's literally just like they're off in the war serving. So yeah, that, it, that makes sense to me too. Further on in the book, whenever she finally gets to the point of choosing Jamie, she says, I've only known him for six months, but I've only been with him for like a month. You yeah. know, and you're like, huh? Yes. It, I mean, it's wild. And like I'm the just two like, of us, like, can you imagine right now? Like, we have kids and stuff, obviously. It's a bit different. But right. like the sacrifice of a serious long relationship <sighs> for I, a fling? Or happens to me. <laughs> That's <laughs> all I can say. I, yeah, it's, a, it's just a little odd. And again... I understand where she's coming from because she wants it to feel a little forbidden, right? Because it makes it a little spicier. By the way, I should probably add a spice meter at the top of this story. This story is very sexy. And to the point, I I did not remember how, just how many love scenes are in this book. There's a lot. They, there is quite a lot. And there's a lot of sexual content that's not a love scene yes. <laughs> that's just a regular person talking you're just like what uh, the sexualization of um bearing a i don't know carrying Listen, a child will come I, up later oh <laughs> i don't even know if i want to discuss but anyways anyway the yes, all it is. said it's weird how she sets it up now i've heard from several people that they find like they find this part of the book fairly boring and I don't think it's boring I like the part this part of the book I think that Diana Gabaldon even though she's a crazy freak is such a good writer she is like charming um Claire 
even after like everything that she does in this book it is the pluckiest heroine of all time and somehow she pulls it off without making her seem cheesy oh no you love claire that's what's kind of crazy is what i'm like you love these characters even though they're flawed which is very hard to do like there's like there's a there's a balance right of like yeah they need to be realistic and like you know you don't want them too like Mm. you know too polished but you also have to make them where the reader still wants to root for them at the end of the day and i feel like i still do yeah, and actually, when I think about the mo- the TV version of Claire, I actually think they made her a little too serious. Yeah, she's supposed to be this, like, very, like, quick, quick-witted and, like, kind of can be goofy. Like, she can be yeah. serious, but, like, she's definitely a very, um, very spicy, very, very sharp. Uh, she has a sense of humor, for sure. The things that I really noticed that I, I I was one of those people couldn't stand the first part of the book. Not couldn't stand it, but just was kind of like bored until it got to, mm-hmm. you know, like she's, you know, swept away in this like Highland adventure. I really misunderstood um, how, how much of the scaffolding she was building at the beginning of this yeah. book with the Frank. He's a historian. He, I, the I kept writing down notes like the level of history that Claire knows. 19 or 19 mm-hmm. 1786 is the so-and-so rebellion of, and at so-and-so place that so you know and i was like my gosh like there's some very specific historical things that i know the dates to but it would be like <laughs> the birth of our country or you know what i mean like very very wide um like something that everybody should know where i felt like this book they really or she really tried to like push into like he's a historian so therefore she knows a lot about history and he also loves his um, genealogical charts. So, like, she knows all about his ancestry. Mm-hmm. And she really laid that foundation for the future. Yes. So, fast forward. And if that's a little... And, I mean, she does lay it on thick. Because even the Highlander standing in the dark, they see a ghost. Ooh, Listen with- here. <laughs> I remember as soon as I finished the book, I'm like, Jamie? Was it Jamie? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, anyway, the like you said, the good part is when she's traveled back in time, right? She doesn't know what's going on, where she is, and she's trying to, like, make sense of it. Now, this is where the tone of the book has always been so strange to me. And I guess it just speaks to Claire's personality. But the... and. I understand she's been a war nurse, right? Like, she's very used to these high-stress situations. The level of calm that this woman keeps at all times, it's like, it's never her breaking down sobbing because her entire life has changed because, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's an eerie level. She holds level. it together very well. Yeah, it's an eerie level of, like, I guess this is just my life now. I mean, she gets there and is immediately assaulted by Jack Black Randall. (laughs) Listen, and Jack Black Randall is not just any villain. He is the cloned replica of her spouse, Frank. And she realizes that he must be the, like, great, great, great grandfather because he's that, like, similar in features. This is an ultra spoiler (laughs) if you haven't, like, read any, like further past this book but later you find out 
that Frank is not even a direct descendant of of Jack Black Randall. Listen, Since his little brother has a child with his wife and then like dies. And Jack Black Randall, like, I guess, marries the woman and raises the son as his own. And then that's why the family tree gets messed up. This is another thing where I'm like, why? Like, a passing that, resemblance? That was a plot hole. That comes yes. into, what, the second or third book. And she didn't, yeah. there's no way she took that into consideration. No. It's so weird. I'm like, and again why does he have to be like the clone the likelihood of that happening is so just uh, it's just very weird it almost it's very weird there's a lot of times in the book that i have realized on the reread that you have to what do you call it suspend um, your disbelief (laughs) Disbelief, you have to because it's just like yeah this never happened i mean you know you're not gonna go back in in time with the stones either but you really just have to just say okay i'll Mm -hmm. just I'll just ride with whatever she rides. We'll just do it. Right. So one of the, um, well, let's see. Yeah. So right away, he's trying to like sexually assault her. As soon as um, she gets clubbed over the head, everybody finds out who's got her. Everybody's like disgusted. Mm-hmm. And then like, we come to find out that Black Jack has this history, right, of like sexually assaulting multiple people. I, I mean, this is a bit early. I think Maybe. we just lay it lay it out now. I I just kept thinking like there there's certain themes within the book where it's like it's almost like there's no nuance here, right? It's like there's just like every person he meets, he tries to sexually assault. Like that's kind of like how it comes across as. Yeah. But we find out later it does not even appear that this man is bisexual. He well, so there's a specific scene where that Jamie's sister talks about like how he cannot even like sustain the abilities to rape her right so so he doesn't yeah and i just kept being like so i don't get it what's you know what i mean like could you not so many people in other ways yeah so many trigger warnings for this book like rape sexual assault uh like uh, regular assault like <laughs> listen there's there's a witch burned at the stake <laughs> there's there's a lot death <laughs> like anything you can think of um yeah i i so there's a lot to be said with the way homosexuality is portrayed in this book and uh, it is most definitely villainized. Now, she has a very prominent character later in the series who has, like, a heart of gold and who is also gay. She's trying to redeem. She's literally like, okay, let's go back. Let's <laughs> rewrite this narrative. But still, like, the the absolute perversion of, of Jack Randall is just so far and away. And that honestly his character alone is what kind of ruins the book for me like truly ruins it because this is jumping all the way to the end but the end of this book is so over the top and vile and like you don't I don't even want to read it I don't want to talk about it it's gross I hate it and it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless I'm like, Diana, like, I guess your weird, freaky kink is showing because there are lots of instances where, like, kind of like sex and 
assault are mixed in a kind of a weird way in this story. I yes, that's very true. And I oh, I had a good point. Oh, one of the things I wrote down was also if you'll notice, Claire is very often thrown in these like like people are bringing up that you know what I mean, like they're interested in sleeping with her. Or yeah. that they might rape her. Or there's a scene where they're very narrowly, like, escape. But, like, she actually never really goes through. Mm-hmm. Like, even, like, the like a lot of physical assault, she really doesn't go through. Where James Frazier, mm. <laughs> the man, is literally crucified left and right. Yes. Like, any sort of trauma that can happen, you better believe it's happening to him. <laughs> it's true. And I just keep thinking of, like, the flash forward later in the books it's like somehow he's whole and well and handsome <laughs> still i'm like how this whole, man listen. has more than two teeth in his head i don't know he's he's in a great place mentally like <laughs> you know what i mean like he just he's not suffering the way that regular folks are suffering he's got the constitution <laughs> of a lion apparently okay so she meets Jamie and like within seconds, she's like setting his shoulder <laughs> back in the socket i mean she is I, I loved her stuff like that, though. Yeah, that was one of those things. It's more. like, she's, she's, she really shows them, too, like, right away, like, a woman, like, you know, the things that they can do, like, yes. where they're like, well, you're a wet nurse, and she's literally like, a bunch of idiots, like, <laughs> let, let me take, take charge here, please. Um, now, she's kind of caught up by this band of Highlanders, right, who save her from Randall, and they take her back to their manor, their estate, and you guy, you get this whole cast of characters with the Mackenzies and how they, it is the Mackenzies, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. And you find out these are Jamie's um, uncles. Yeah. You've got his, so the two uncles. So one of the things I thought was really interesting is like, you know, she talks a lot about her being a nurse. She loves herbal remedies. And I kept thinking like, I know that that is, you know, a thing, but like the level of how much she knew and everything's like penicillin and like all these, you know what I mean? Like it was so important at the times. I just was like, how much would you really care? And how much time would she as a nurse in the midst of war have to devote to learning about this? It it seems like she's only been into it for a couple of months, but she has an encyclopedic um, knowledge of roots and Well, she, I mean, one of the things I wrote down is like, she sees Colum, who is the laird of the castle, aka, like, the lord, and she immediately was like, oh, he's got so-and-so syndrome. Like, that's, that's obvious. The loose and like, back. and she knows, like, oh, this means he can't have kids, this means that so-and-so, so, like, this is what happened to him in his life, or, like, his bones are deteriorating, like, you know, it's like, she's got, like, a catalog, like, list of, but that, I don't know. Me, I can believe it, because, I mean, she her past is very artfully presented because not only was she a war nurse for quite a long time and she was trained and all these things later in the series she becomes a doctor so she has a true passion for medicine okay so she definitely likes to learn but also she was raised by her uncle lamb who was a professor and he kind of took her all around the world with him so it makes sense to me that she would have had, I mean, that could have, her knowledge of Toulouse-Lautrec syndrome could have easily been through seeing his art and being interested in him as a painter. Does that make sense? I, I guess you're right. She just, I just felt like, 
it the is, level of knowledge. You know what I mean? Like she just had so much knowledge. It is a lot. <laughs> and yeah. I just was like, okay, well. Yeah. Going. It also makes sense that they think she's a witch later. That's for sure. Right. right. I mean, she really, she has so much more knowledge than all the rest. The rest of them honestly like have like a teaspoon of the knowledge she has just from like being reasonably well educated. I mean, um, except okay. For, except for the blazing, I mean, shining star of this book, who is James. <laughs> I won't say all of his names, but Jamie Frazier. And I bring that up because, like, so quickly after they get back, he ends up taking a beating for, like, Leary, this girl in the book. And, like, just gets the crap beat out of him. And him and Claire kind of have this relationship where she's checking on him because she needs to change his bandages. And he's always with the horses. And they kind of have this little friendship or whatever. But I... Claire is very well educated and very smart, but I started taking notes of all of Jamie's accomplishments. They're long, so it, please. <laughs> I mean, please add to this list when I'm done here. But I put Jamie, insane pain tolerance, a a capital lock picker, a horse whisperer, great with children, expert fighter and a shot, capable farmer. Uh, speaks six languages, including English, Gaelic, French, Spanish, German, and Italian. Knows Shakespearean verse off the top of his head, and he can hold his breath for upwards of three minutes. <laughs> oh, he's supposed to be what the best left-handed fighter there ever was in swordplay. Was <laughs> like, and he's six Listen, three, right. redheaded, and a handsome Adonis. On like, top the, of it all. hold on, he's the most beautiful man you've ever met. <laughs> And he's a virgin. <laughs> it's like the man can do no wrong here. Now, don't get me wrong. This woman knows how to write. Like his, their regular banter is my favorite part of the entire book. Like them just getting to know each other, talking, him like jabbing her, whatever like calling your sassamac all that stuff i eat that stuff up okay i love it oh of course i mean that's <laughs> that's what's building their relationship for the you know half the book yeah. we'll talk about the the flip side of that the darker side in a minute when we talk about them getting married but she's at the castle they're kind of building this relationship and then they have to go around like they take why do they take claire with them they, they're like, getting the rents and Oh, there's a reason. Are they going by the garrison? Uh, yeah, maybe they're going to drop her at the fort. And they're like, okay. Because they think she's a spy anyway. We got to talk about Dougal real quick. I feel like. Okay. Dougal, I feel like it's at least the first half. I Like he was not fleshed out enough for me. Where I just kept being like, I wanted. Like she could have put so much more into. I mean, like you do eventually. Like, you know, I've read a couple yeah. of her other books. So you do get more. Um, things but you know it's like Jamie at one point said yeah like I think my uncle actually shot at me like <laughs> and you're like what <laughs> and then you find out that like he considers him almost like an like adopted son like he had to live with them for several years and like they've you know like there's a price on Jamie's head and there's like all these like I don't know these mysterious things and then you just wanted to know more about Dougal because like Dougal is like he's considered like the legs um, of the Laird who like can't leave and like do all of the uh, 
whatever the little Layers the top rot rot like getting the tops and whatnot and so yeah like he just had such a very like snappish way about him i think i was okay I with that. one more i it was more like i was just thinking of how in reality like how bad off you would be if you actually did time travel back to this time and you had no good clothes no shoes <laughs> You have no money to speak of, and you're a woman. And it's like, yeah, you probably would be attacked every other second. But also, like, I'm just wondering if they really would have taken in this stranger and just, like, put her up in their house and taken care of her and given her... They money. took way too... She wasn't a prisoner. I mean, they no. took way too good a care of her, if, if anything. <laughs> right. Right. Like, very good care. So that's that was a little weird to me. And she's just, you know, they literally let her like start running a dang surgery <laughs> downstairs. She's got a I, whole pharmacy and a- I can't be like, could she not just up and kill these folks left and right? And they were just like, Okay. <laughs> Give them some nightshade, honey, whatever. <laughs> it's true. They didn't oh, give it up. But she put out her little shingle and started going to work. Um Anyway, yeah, they're going to take her to the fort. And then when they do, they realize, of course, it's Randall again. And this is where it comes a little murky is I'm not I it almost turns out that Dougal just doesn't want Randall to have her at the goodness of his heart. Yes. And he's also there's there's stuff about wanting Jamie to <sighs> kind of just be married and done with it. Right. I get that. But like it, that to me is not a strong enough reason. There's a lot of like talk of like inheritance, right? Like yeah. Jamie, as Jamie seems to be like the the oldest nephew. Mm-hmm. There's really only one other like person in the line of succession that's ever mentioned, and so it's like, and, and he's you know ten years younger than Jamie, like you know. So it's like, oh, if Colum dies today, we want to be sure that this man is like saddled up with a English, like, you know what I mean? Like somebody that's going to be very clearly not accepted. So like, I kind of, I kind of got that a little bit more. I'm like, okay, like they, another thing I felt like the book, they were very accepting of her for them to truly hate the red coat so much. Like they were, you know, so they they didn't hold it against her in the way that I can only imagine they really would have. Um, Absolutely the case. So, I don't know. I was kind of like, eh, well. Um, I kept, right before all that happens, we talk, it, We really, like, find out about Ned. I, do you love Ned? I feel like Ned is one of the best characters of this whole Dad Gun book. Ned is a very cute little character to me. I love his little spunk. I lo- he's the, the lawyer of the manor. And basically, he's just, like, this little old man. It's like, I've got a penchant for adventure. I kept being like, but how does a man live to be 70-ish? <laughs> He's riding a horse, sleeping, you know what I mean? Like, yep. on the dadgum sleeping. ground constantly. Yeah, I don't know. I was definitely like, I guess it takes a certain kind of gumption. <laughs> you no, know, I love Ned. I will say when he really comes in clutch is later with the, with the trials. and Of course. I, this book to me... I'm not quite sure what the editors were thinking, but I, I do feel like some of it should have really been cut. 
it was too it's too long she took you on a journey and it was a bumpy road it's kind of like there's a lot of high points and there's a lot of really low points i actually saw uh this like little reel on instagram and this girl was like i took brandon sanderson's creative writing class and this is these are like the rules he shared and one of them and it is absolutely the case with this book is she's like in your novel everything should always be getting worse <laughs> and like Aww. it's like and i i right because you want to like heighten the drama right so you've got to increase and squeeze and squeeze and squeeze until you get to this epic point and then you go down from there but like it is absolutely the case with this book it's like she's gone back in time she's assaulted now you know you, you think she's gonna go to the to the thing and be taken care of by the soldiers but then she has to marry jamie and then they get assaulted again and you know <laughs> the castle she's held the stake exactly so oh, no. that's totally this book so anyway they they have her marry jamie the other thing that really stands out through this whole time is i'm like honey i know that it would be boring and whiny and everything else if every other page she's like I just miss Frank. Like, I just miss Frank. She doesn't miss Frank at all. But she never <laughs> says it. Ever says it. Like, she talks about, you're right, she talks about getting back to Frank quite frequently, but it's not really remorseful that she's not in his company. It's like a, it's for like months. a video game, like, I got, like, ooh, how am I going to get back to those stones? It's like, she's not afraid. She's not um, terrified for her life. She's not worried she's step on a rusty nail and get tetanus and die in this place <laughs> like or of dysentery she at one point drinks from a nasty old well with Dougal and I'm like <laughs> are you kidding me <laughs> I would never do that there's oh, some man. there are certain things one of the things I wrote down was like you know like the wed not <laughs> I just kept being like you she like you know there's what do you call it there's all the people downstairs to be witnesses but i just was like they would never know they you would could, never know you could lie that lady <laughs> threw absolutely she saw an opportunity and she took <laughs> she right i guess maybe at one point like after they've been drinking for a few hours she's like okay well being honest with myself i'm very attracted to this man right but like i but at the same time i don't for me it was just like honey it's you want to get to your man yeah i i feel like she could have shown her as a very strong and independent woman but there should have been some little um scene where she's like crying and scared in her room and like clutching a pillow and just being like what am i going to do like this is how is this real i miss frank we were just getting back into our lives and she sprinkles a little bit of that in like she'll have one tear roll down her face and jamie's like are you thinking of frank and she's like sniff sniff yeah she won't won't even but she won't even let him talk about like whenever he's like i just wanted to thank you and she's literally like no stop Uh (laughs) like don't even entertain i i remember in the show was showing her constantly drinking that day and she's like Mm -hmm. drunk as a skunk yeah i don't know if i don't remember the book like it talks a bit about her drinking, but it's not like, like in the show, right. they're really showing that like she's not wanting this to happen. Like it's really like 
you know, where a lot of stuff in the show to make it more palatable. Understandable. Yes. Because that, because, you know, kind of just like, she even says like, well, it's already been done. Like, can't hurt more than right. it. But actually, I would disagree. I would totally disagree. <laughs> and I, if it was me, I'd been like, how many times? But Listen, what? <laughs> if my man ever gets in this situation, he better be holding out. Right. <laughs> he better not be like, well, there was a time and a place. Like, right. no, that's not an acceptable reason. Never. Do what you gotta <laughs> do and who you gotta do. One of yeah. the big things I wrote down that was just very like, huh? It's like at uh, within like you know what I mean, like a short time period of them being together, and they're kind of honeymooning. They're still traveling. They're not quite back at Castle Leoc yet. Jamie asks <laughs> her, "Is this usual? What's between us?" Mm-hmm. He is so clearly infatuated with her. Yep. And this woman, I'm as smart as she's supposed to be, <laughs> as much as we're supposed to know how knowledgeable <laughs> she is, is an absolute dummy that doesn't realize it. And I just was like. Like the rotten's on the wall. Excuse me. I I looked at it. I think the whole package here is telling me that she is very good at um, what is the what is the word here? Like sectioning off and quarantining parts of her mind, and that's what she's kind of chosen to do. And I feel like she has been fighting this the whole time. And she's also quite a bit older than him. And she talks about, like, having crushes before on, like, a a doctor or whatever. And then it always kind of fizzles out and she just ignores it. And I guess it, it doesn't. It doesn't surprise me all that much that she doesn't want to admit that she's, like, actually falling in love with this person. Oh, I, I felt like it even, but it even doesn't even, it plays it more as she's oblivious. The scene, the, that one scene whenever he, like, admits to her, like, oh, like, I've pretty much been madly in love with you since I first met right. you. And she is stunned. And I just was like, but there's so much that proves that like he was very like he was just caught i mean i guess part of it too is like jamie's kind of written as like the martyr a lot of the times where like he's gonna be the person so maybe i guess she just thought like that's just his personality like he'll Mm -hmm. he'll just sacrifice anything for anybody but i just was really like oh so there's another moment when they're back in the castle i've called her an enneagram eight before and i definitely stand by that she's definitely an eight But (laughs) the boldness that this woman has for sometimes for no apparent reason, besides the storytelling, but like there's other ways to tell this without her coming from Claire's own mouth that really blow my mind. So at some point she's like up in columns study, like borrowing a book or something. And her and Colm see his little son like fall off a horse or whatever and she says like oh yeah he's fine like don't worry and then to Colm she's like you love him like he's your own (laughs) (laughs) is she the definition of a pot stirrer or what I'm just like keep it to yourself Claire why does why do you think Claire needs Colm to know that she knows? I'm serious. This is a real puzzle to me. This is it goes back to that she is 
really at their mercy. Jamie is at their yes. mercy. Yes. He's not a Mackenzie by name. They don't really want him there. Like, they see him as a threat to the throne, essentially. What want to piss him off. She, I don't know. She does that a lot. She did the same thing with Dougal, where, like, she's just, she's so willing to speak her mind, which is part of what makes her such a fun character, but it definitely does set her up in a way that's like, um, it, you don't care about your lofty sister. Right, and it just, it seems, like, calculated in a way that's just so <laughs> odd. Very evil. Yes. <laughs> She's reminded me a little bit of uh, Gaylis Duncan. Oh. Or Gaylis or whatever her name is. Uh, okay. Gaylis is really interesting character. I felt like they just, you know, we, we you run away, find out. Like, she's the, she's the neighborhood witch doctor of the little village um, next mm-hmm. to Castle Leoc. She provides, basically, like, the herbal medicine for people, especially if they're going to get, like, an abortion. Um, and you find out she's poisoned her husband, and it's just so just kind of like, <laughs> oh, well. You know, and I'm like, this Claire, huge. Claire looks at Gilas with this very, like, almost scientific lens. She's one of those characters where, like, she's kind of, you already know she's bad news from the, and Claire knows she's bad news, but she just can't help but, like, be drawn to her in a way. Now, much later, you find out that Gilas is also a time traveler, although they don't get to talk about it in the book. And... I, I'm just thinking if one person and, and Gilas went back even further than Claire did because Claire left from the 1940s and I believe Gilas left from like the 1970s or 69 or something like that. I think it's 68, but yeah. How much research could you possibly do to get the accent right? To get the little mannerisms right she immersed herself in that culture quickly (laughs) truly seriously i'm just wondering because you know everybody already is remarking that like claire speaks strangely she says weird things like people notice this stuff about her i have even with gilas she's supposed to be giving money to the jacobite army how does she have the connections or find who was the right you know what i mean like (laughs) the right people to disperse the money to yeah, it's and you know she it she went back in time specifically to do that. Like you find out that later, and so I'm sure that she's done her research. I just even if everybody else just thought Gilas was a witch and a weird person, I feel like I would have picked up on something, like something. Well, she eventually, at the very end of the book, she right. sees her little, what is that? Her um, her smallpox vaccine. Right. <laughs> the sign of the witches, which they both have. <sighs> anyway, um, that's a little odd. <coughs> definitely. A, I mean, I, I enjoyed reading those parts, but yeah. Do you like. Shrouded in mystery. Do you like the part where, like, basically Larry sits, sets Claire up and sends her down to the village right when they're coming to get Elis Duncan to burn her as a witch? Do you like that part of the book? What do you One think? of the things that I kept thinking about in this book is Leary is not mentioned enough to basically try to kill Claire, right? Like, yes. there's there's one scene where she kisses Jamie after Jamie saves her. There's a second scene where she's disappointed that Jamie's not getting her. The third scene, it's not even, you know, we, we find out that she sent her, quote, an ill wish, a.k.a. sent her, like, some, 
I don't know, herbs or whatever that's supposed to, I guess, like a root the... vegetable. <laughs> like, send the demons on or something. And then, like, the next thing, she's trying to kill her. Like, yeah. the escalation from... It, it, it's drastic. Like, she has one kiss with Jamie. It's not like they were in a serious relationship. They talk about before, like, how they would never actually get to get married because her father wouldn't allow it mm-hmm. because he's from a different clan. I mean, like, there's a lot of things going on here. So I just almost felt like she was not a bad enough villain to, at all. Yeah, it seems odd that she would go so far. So very far. And for what? So she could marry Jamie? Seriously. As if Jamie's literally going to be like, sure. Well, The only thing I can think of is that she's 16. I didn't realize that either. And actually, that's... She's committing murder as a teenager? (laughs) Well, I mean, maybe that she hadn't thought it through that she was going to send her down there. The other thing that I think is weird is when she gets to Gilas's house, it's like trashed. It's almost (sighs) like she knew it was coming and she was just like, screw it. Like, I'm just going to go down in a blaze of glory. I said earlier, Gilas is shrouded in mystery. And at the end, (laughs) this book and in further books, as we find out a little bit more about Gilas, just very much oh. I don't understand stuff where it's like, you know, they're held on trial. They, yeah. Aguilas apparently kind of has an idea that maybe she is, you know, a time traveler like herself. Uh-huh. Never brings it up. She ends up sacrificing herself. Well, like, on, hold on. There's something we got to talk about. And this is, oh, what else? If somebody lured you to their upstairs uh, secret hideaway, Okay. They're like, here, come help me with my dress. They take you to their secret. <laughs> Listen, weird... would I ever be at their house again? Yes. And not only that, they take you in there. She pulls out a book and she's like, this is a grimoire. You are a witch. And you're, and she's like, oh, yeah, hee hee, no big deal. And then she sits you down <laughs> and she like tries to drug you with opium and ask you where you came from and Claire even says that she remembers everything that happens and yet she still goes down there why Claire that is so stupid Claire well, Claire is kind of like Jamie in that sense right it's like uh, she believes that Gilas needs her and that she's sick and has called for her so she's drawn to the the helpless and like the weary right like there's right. a scene where like the changeling baby she hears like a baby mm-hmm. quote interpretations around changeling mm-hmm. but she hears a baby crying you know what i mean like on the top of like a hill or something she runs to save it even though she's been like told like not to yeah so she definitely is the type of person that she's gonna self-sacrifice <laughs> <laughs> stupidly yes but yeah so that's why i mean like uh-huh. where i just kept being like like, she would do really wicked things, and she'd do, like, a really good thing. But then there's a question mark where it's, like, <laughs> later, well, if you have not read the second book or third, skip past this. But tell me how does Gilas escape? I have. How does she escape? escape? Not only does she escape, <laughs> she escapes with quite a bit of her money and is able to get to the Caribbean or whatever and... Also, why did she suddenly become a child molester? Like, there's a lot. There's a lot here. What about there's... her child? <laughs> she, they said she gave birth to the son. What happened to the son? I think they take the baby, like, right away. To be then, 
Basically. So then why wouldn't they kill her right away? I right? don't know. I mean. Just don't know. Anyways. Anyways, so let's see. So <laughs> Ned comes in, saves Claire, as well as Jamie, who physically comes in. I, once again, I'm like, Jamie, I will literally be Mrs. Lacey <laughs> and Jamie Frazier any day of the week in what um, sucks, Bookland. I like to pretend that he never did beat her because I will simp for this man till the day I die. I do love him. That is... <laughs> That is that his worst sin in this book? I'm trying to think. Because he, he's constantly going out saving folks, including his, Claire. His temper with his sister when he... Oh, that's... That's, that's pretty weird. bad. And it's very weird. And, he, like, she just has made him so stubborn in that moment. Where, again, I'm like, no human being. It's like, nope, nope. I don't even want to hear it. Nope, right. nope. Let, let, <laughs> like, get over it, sir. We're an hour into this recording, and I'm wondering if this needs to be a two-parter. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first, like, ten minutes is us just chatting, I think. Good. So, we're, I feel like we're, we're almost at Lally Brawl. We can... Okay. So, we can do this. Well, yeah, so then they escape, and I do love Jamie saving her, throwing the crucifix. I love that whole part. Aria, my friend that read it, was very much like, they needed to cut the whole entire witch trial out of this book. It was too long it needed to be gone and i can see where she's saying that because it's so much longer i think that the fat they need to trim is more at the end of the book and i think it just needed a different ending see i would almost agree with aria where when the second time they were at castle leoch i kept being like why are you here right they were already married right like they could have jumped then right like kind of jumped on to another part where then being there twice, the the repetition, I just didn't need it. The so I only, can that. Yeah, I guess you're right. It definitely could have gone. That's for sure. I just, I don't mind those scenes. And I think that Geely adds like a weird energy to the whole thing. Oh, there's another really gross part. And the whole reason that Jamie's not there when she gets taken is because he's off with the Duke of Sandrington. Oh. There is this <laughs> huge, like prolonged story all about how the duke is like a pedophile and tried to like sexually assault jamie several times when he was a teenager and they're all just like hooting and hollering over it and it's actually really disturbing they you know what i didn't realize it but you're right i guess him and blackjack are the only lgbt individuals in this book right in the first book and they're both like sexual deviants where like, yeah, like the Duke of Sandringham is literally like trying to like capture yeah. Jamie as he turns around. You know, you're like, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's a lot. And you're right. It, everybody's like, ha ha. And, you know, they do say like, oh, well, we warned the young lads whenever he came to visit the second time. And it's oh. like, but you allowed him in your midst. Right. Like. Y'all weren't afraid that, like, uh, he's a duke. Like, mm-hmm. you, you can't take a duke to trial and you're a little peasant, nobody. Like, come on. Yeah, that's another moment where I was like, oh, my gosh, drop this hole. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I didn't even make one note about it because it was just kind of like, okay, keep going. Moving on. <laughs> so, so they go to the stones. And the reason they go to the stones is because Jamie has finally learned the truth. And Claire has told him all about her time travel. Mm-hmm. And he's sad to do it, but 
being the once again that martyr he's he's gonna do it he lets her make her choice he tells her you know at the end of the day like i'm leaving but i'll be down in this little i don't know shack or whatever it is that he, well, and he tests her first he lets her like touch it and then jerks her back do you remember that yes and it always makes me feel a little emotional where i'm like <laughs> he's just gotta sacrifice <laughs> so much I'm actually and, glad that he she put that in there though because I'm like I just don't see how anyone could actually believe her. Right, right, right. It sounds so crazy. Yeah, so far fetched. I just kept. I guess I felt a little sad there because it's like Jamie has lost so much. Like she, mm-hmm. when he's talking to her, you know, like he tells her these like horrific stories about like his dad dying, his mom dying, his <laughs> brother dying. You know, he's been like beaten multiple times like he's lost his um his home like he's got a price on his head like he's forced to live in other countries like yeah he has all these terrible things and it's like the one good thing in his life is at this point is claire and then it's like oh well i belong to somebody else see ya right so i've always just felt like he was just so willing to just let her go (laughs) and i mean of course you're rooting for her to run back down that hill don't get me wrong does anybody have any love for frank at all I don't think. Could you they, imagine? And if and if they do, then by book two or three, they'll lose it because <laughs> she it's really gone. kind of burns Frank to the ground, which is unfortunate because another issue I have with this extended series is that so much of the rest of the books are much later in their lives. You know, they've they've mm-hmm. had to live up even after this. They do eventually have to live apart for quite a while. Right. It goes. I'm telling you, I was whenever I was reading the thing about a different series of books. There's like, there's just no nuance in those books, and now I I see that theme in so many books. Where I'm like, that's exactly right. Like, you can't just have like a bad person. They're horrific. There's no good in them. You know, it's like okay, Uh, right? It's like who you think is good. Mm -mm. They're gonna cut them down. Um. So after that, they go to Lollybrock, and then there's this. You meet Jenny, <laughs> and it's. I remembered loving Jenny, and on this reread, I was definitely. She is an absolute freak. <laughs> yeah, I definitely was like I, like I love the spirit behind her. Right. The second she starts talking, I'm like, that's a no, ma'am. <laughs> and you know what? I'm honestly surprised that she takes to Claire at all because of the way she is. So. I think the weirdest part of this part of the book, and we've talked about this, is how the author chooses to sexualize literally every single thing that she possibly can. Like, it's just so beyond. It's so weird. It's like, at one point, Jenny and her husband are kind of talking to one another, and they're staring into each other's eyes. And it's like there's no one else in the room, but Jamie and Claire are like <laughs> right next to them, and you're just like, how horny can a book actually be? I, I mean, is she not nine months pregnant? Honestly, in this scene, yes, yes, I'm nine months pregnant right now, and I'm trying to think of like if there's if I'm in a group of people, that overwhelming urge it just does not hit as frequently in that nine month of pregnancy. I don't know, it's a lot. She. To me, and that's one of the things too that got me with this book is where, like, whenever she's talking about, like, the she takes very, like, actually sacred experiences to motherhood and, like, 
turn some raunchy that I I don't I just kind of got the vibe that Diana Gabaldon really wanted to keep your mind as focused on sex as much as possible. Yeah, I, I didn't like I don't know why exactly she'd want to do that because it it didn't feel sexy to me. It felt very like disturbed. Seriously, I don't know. I, she I, does have three children, by the way. Does she really? Okay, that was yes. one of my questions. Yes, she does. Then that makes me even more disgusted by, <laughs> by some of her descriptions in the book. But you know, there one of them named Jenny. <laughs> so sad. I did love Jenny. She's got a she's got a funny, strong personality. That, should we talk about the scene when her and Jamie come back? Or is it too much? Yeah, I want to talk about it just briefly because this is, and like, I guess it's really not out of his character to just lose his mind with rage sometimes. Because at one point when they're screaming at each other, I swear they're like throwing stuff at each other and like cursing each other out and just going wild. But to me, the hollering, yelling, cussing, that wasn't as far gone. Like, obviously, it's toxic. You shouldn't be. But the way it kind of set it up where Jamie, I guess what I'm saying is if that was to happen to him and Dougal, okay, I get it. But it talks about Jenny and it kind of lays out this foundation of basically it's like, oh, like he believes Jenny was assaulted by Black Jack Randall. Right. And that's kind of why. Like, he ended up going to the garrison. It's like, like that he was going to go so that she wouldn't be. And then, like, later he finds out that he had, uh, or Jack Randall had a, or either he had a child with her or another Englishman had a child with her. Like, mm-hmm. and he just basically feels so, like, it was all on him. That, like, it, you know, he was, again, being the martyr, he's, he's taken the fault. So the fact that when he sees her, instead of, like, rushing to, like, hug her and, like, have, like, a very special reunion after like four years apart it's like mm-hmm. you're a dirty tramp <laughs> yes, it didn't it just didn't quite hit the right way oh man it yeah it's so odd then you have this like little uh this time at Lollybrock, which is good for them um i actually do laugh quite a bit at that scene where he's like wearing his father's old red drawers i like to go swimming (laughs) love that scene and that's where you find out that um jamie can hold his breath for like three minutes and i'm just like there's nothing this man can't do no there's not and that's why we love him (laughs) so dearly but i I love seeing him be a laird i wish we could have even seen it a little bit longer but the time is cut short well, Once yeah, again. she chose to put the witch trial in there instead. But yes, it's cut short. He is eventually taking captor, a captive. This is the other part that she need. like, out of anything in this book, the fluff of of uh, Murtaugh and um, Claire roaming <laughs> the countryside as a dynamic duo where she reads palms and sings little songs in the evening to try and spread word of them so and they're traveling in like a gypsy pack right yes like there there's a lot going on here it is so dumb and like i think she even it was dumb because she puts barely any detail and there's no actual like detailed story you just get like the you know 
thousand foot view of that time <laughs> in our lives. Right. I I remember the first time I totally like blazed past it. I remember you brought it back up to me like you're like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> and I thought you loved it. I thought you loved that scene actually. No, it was I'm so thinking, crazy. I'm thinking of like playing the pipe, <laughs> <laughs> doing a little job. Whatever Murtaugh is described as like the super serious, very crazy. I thought you were going to talk about Jenny two oh. days after labor. <laughs> Okay, now I've never had a um, birth that hasn't ended in a surgery. You have. Be honest with me. How much and how far could you have walked and tracked in the woods a couple days after labor? In reality, and remember this, she has now had a natural birth, no drugs, nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Now, keeping in mind this is her second baby, maybe it came a little faster. Well, no. (gasps) The baby was breached. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> See, everything is always getting worse, Lacey. Everything is constantly <laughs> getting worse in this book. Oh, She's had a very rough time giving birth to this baby. Okay. So she's probably so exhausted. That changes things for me. I was going to make um, an argument here that I have had, I've done, I've had four babies three of them without drugs and there's this crazy and I now I know for sure that it's a real thing because with my last baby I had an epidural and I it didn't quite hit me in the same way but I was riding a high that just is like the best thing ever for like two to three days after having these babies like um, one of my my second kid was born on October 30th and I remember being like, I could 100% take echo trick-or-treating tonight. Like, <laughs> it would have not phased me whatsoever if if I had not, if I had been a crazy person and, like, been willing to take my infant, you know, out, whatever. I didn't do it. I stayed home. I, like, handed out. But you candy. could have. But I absolutely could have. And I was like, that combined with her... Um, ferocious little spirit plus the absolute adrenaline that must kick in if your brother you think is about to be killed and you need to go find him like I could see her doing it to an extent there was a certain like the I one of the most pains I've ever been in my life was whenever (laughs) my milk came in after one of my kids or after my twins birth and I didn't have my kids with me, right? So, like, it was, like, literally miserable. But I did have a... An um, old tin cup? <laughs> well, look, I had my pump. So, I'm like, <laughs> to imagine a mother going through that and you've got nothing to... I literally was like, I, I don't know how. <laughs> it's debilitating. That's an awful case of mastitis waiting to happen. That's for sure. But anyways, but you know what, Jenny, they endure for those two days. Yeah, then she beats up a Murtaugh. They find Dougal. I freaking, I got, this was the point where I was so sick of Dougal, where Dougal's basically like, hey, Jamie's kidnapped. That's fine. Let's let him <laughs> die. Me and you will get together. It'll be great. Uh-huh. I'll, ha- I'll have a natural heir with you. Oh, I was like, Stop. who are you, sir? Here is like, I know you might be, like, also, he said that Geely, like, told her or told him that she was barren 
Wait, did he? Yes, she did. Like Geely warned me you were barren, but I think oh that she I thought you meant Geely said she herself was oh that's true there that, oh sick and then the way he describes I was yeah. literally like uh, it's so gross <laughs> kill it's me so nasty. did she think after Jamie's fine intelligent uh, like you know what I mean self that she was fixing to go take some daggum scraps for an old fifty something year old man I was like son <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Also, and like you and I have said this to each other so many times, but like another uh, one of Jamie's accomplishments is that literally every single man, woman, and child that runs <laughs> him falls deeply, madly in love with him in an obsessive way and this continues over the entire course of the series like there's some weird other weird stuff that happens with that type of thing and claire to a lesser extent is kind of the same where people are very they're drawn to them they're a power couple honey yeah they are everyone wants to be a part of this power couple and i what are the i mentioned this to you but i just throw it on here I had no recollection of Jamie's mom basically being the exact same way where there's like five different men that are like, I was so obsessed with your mom. I would do anything for your mom. I wanted to marry your mom. Like your mom was the most beautiful. And I was like, wow, like it really is like mother, like son. It is like, like, seriously, they ran, they run into some random man in the woods at night. Oh, wait. Where'd you get that bracelet? <laughs> Gave that to <laughs> Ellen McKenzie, nay, 25 years ago. Like, oh, really? <laughs> well, that's perfect. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yes. So, anyway. So, to the garrison they go. Yes. And I think we can keep the end of it fair. Well, this isn't even the end. That's the problem. That's one of the problems. Basically, after all kinds of crazy stuff she gets all the way down to a dungeon where jack black has him has jamie captive and then she doesn't get to get him out like she has to leave i could not that was one of my big things that i was like after all of this hassle yeah because we we are that's like an hour's worth of book you just condensed into five seconds right there Yes. She goes through so much to get to him and she sees him and then she still can't rescue him. Yeah. And like he's all jacked up. She's again, once again, almost sexually assaulted by this gross, yucky henchman. And then she's put out into the wilderness where she literally has to fight wolves <laughs> to survive. Oh gosh. That part is just silly. Like I'm sorry, it's silly. Um, you now that you mentioned that Brian Sanderson thing, I'm never gonna Brandon Brandon <laughs> whatever his name is. I'll never forget it because you're right. That's it's pointless. It, yeah. She could have she could have laid in the cold and the man could have came up on her on a horse and been like, ma'am, do you need help? <laughs> no. <laughs> it would have been the same. But and and as ridiculous as it is, that's what in a lot of ways makes the book so exciting to read is because there is all this stuff going on all the time. It's always up in the ante. Unfortunately, the ante ends with Jack Black Randall, uh, sexually assaulting and physically like just mutilating and mutilating Jamie. And eventually 
Jamie tells Claire in like detail everything that he's done and it's so ugh. I was thinking about that where I was like to me it's not that she didn't need to include that he was sexually assaulted right like men do are and were sexually assaulted you know but the level of graphics that she included in there I did not need at all because she goes into extreme detail in describing like the pleasure pain aspect stuff that I just was like I don't want to hear about this. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Quite disturbing. Um, but I mean, I guess that goes to show though that she, he did escape from Blackjack. Blackjack was actually plowed over by cows yeah. <laughs> in the dungeon, <laughs> believed to be dead. Um, mm-hmm. And Jamie um, is able to escape through the help of some other clansmen, but yeah, is really basically they take him. Abby and another uncle like runs I guess um he in France yes and to me this whole convalescent period is kind of boring kind of weird I think there's two things here that I want to talk about and one is how Claire somehow heals Jamie's spirit with what can only be described as witchcraft. Okay, that's one of the points, of course, we're going to talk about because it's, again, a suspension of disbelief mm-hmm. or my disbelief because what she chooses to do is to embody Frank, not Frank, what's his name? Jack. Blackjack. <laughs> uh, Randall, and she's, like, she takes, she tries, she puts... <laughs> She sprays the perfume that like, or like the incense, whatever it was that he had in the room whenever he was assaulting him. She uh, opium to like drug him. She uses like, she, she uses his accent, his voice and tries to use like the same cadence for words. And I, it is so I don't know. weird. It's like, it's like she realized Diana Gabaldon realized that she had done some serious damage here that normally you could never come back from and she had to find a way to (laughs) salvage it because it's like I mean two scenes later he's like it's I'm picturing like rubbing his eyes and like blinking and being like Sassanac it's you (laughs) well the thing is Part of what makes it like Jamie is the reason she chooses to do it is like he's been there for a little while and he's literally like on death's door, yeah. right? Yeah. Suddenly he comes back from death's door. Oh he's gosh. swinging. He's literally like knocks her out a couple times in his delirium, and they eventually have sex. And I'm like, is he not literally all, he about to die? The last rites. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Listen, oh. that brought listen. That experience brought him back to life. He realized he had something to live for. I guess I don't know. So he's back. It is absolutely <laughs> one of the weirdest. <coughs> oh, it's so strange. And then I've this- never read anything like that either. I can honestly say I've never read anything like that. Somewhere, someone on a Facebook group is like looking for a book with. <laughs> huge amounts of sexual <sighs> trauma where uh, dear heroin or whatever they say <laughs> saves 
right. hero. Oh my via, god. Via um embodying sexual assaulter with like an ashwagandha <laughs> ceremony. Oh gosh. Oh. The other thing about this time is like she kind of makes friends with this one priest. And so at this point she's killed two guys. One of them she describes as being really young and she only kills him because he's like about to holler and like let everybody know she's there. And so she has a lot of guilt for that. And then also this whole thing with like, I didn't go back to my husband. I stayed with Jamie and this, this priest, she kind of just comes clean and um, tells him everything. And he takes a minute and then just absolves her. I'm pretty sure the, the chapter is called absolution where he's like, no, you're good. Like, you're fine. You're good. And, oh, I, I say, I, this time, I was really, really interested in the la- this last couple chapters where it kind of took this idea of, like, religion. Because it keeps laying out, like, she's very modern. Like, she's not very religious. Like, she barely, like, she was baptized as a child and basically has, like, v- such a limited knowledge because her uncle... You know what I mean? Like, didn't prioritize that. She right. never has. So I actually really loved how it kind of delved into into it. And I kept, and this kind of goes with what you're saying, I think. Where I, one of my questions that I wrote down was like, what do you think? Does she actually believe that now? Because it fits the narrative that she wants it to have. Where it's like, oh, you didn't do anything wrong. Or like, you know, you did that to save yourself. Like, is she now like a believer? She does say that she felt lighter afterwards and that she felt like she had, like, and you know what, to be honest with you, I'm trying to think of what I think of Claire, because there are definitely people that I know who would never, even without all the crazy stuff that happens in the book, would never like this book because they would judge Claire so much. For the things that she's decided to do. And I actually. I I come out on the side of like. I love Jamie and Claire together so much. That I think it's fine. And like technically speaking. All of this is happening before Frank's even born. Right? <laughs> right. But I don't know. I don't know if I still felt like that in the end or not. Like any sane person would have just gone back through the rocks. And I, I think I, I finished this book thinking. If she had gone back, if she had not been selfish, okay, truly selfish, Jamie's whole life would have been different in a way that I, like, it can't even be, I mean, like, he, he would have probably not had to go through any of the, of the horrible stuff that he had to go through. You think? I still think he probably would have gotten caught. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I think he might have left. But but maybe, yeah, I guess that's true. Maybe he wouldn't have had the urges to go to Lollybrock after all. Because, like, she kind of did, like, buoy him up. So Yeah, I think that mm. he probably would have made himself scarce at some point. Or just laid really low and, like, not left the stables much. Married a local gal. Like, you <laughs> Got know. Got with Leary anyways. Seriously. And I... I don't know. I'm like, maybe she should have just gone home. And maybe passion, it's like, it's not, I don't know, something you should give up your whole life for at, at that time. 
I don't know. There, I keep thinking about there's a very, um, I don't I have no idea how I found it on um, YouTube years ago. And it's, con- it's got like the compilations of like them, like, you know, like little scenes of together. Mm-hmm. And the song that's playing in the background is like, this is no ordinary love. <laughs> no ordinary kind of love. <laughs> and so I always think about that where I'm like, it's just like Jamie said, it was just unusual. And they were both willing to, to do some sacrifice and on behalf of it. Yeah, the book for better or worse paints them as like faded, you know, like mm-hmm. everything is faded to happen. They just were born in very, very different time frames, <laughs> but they were always meant to be together. True, I do still love the book, it's crazy. Yes, it's <laughs> maybe what I should say, but it there's some there really is some like really fun points where I just am like, you know, take me on a journey. The other books really are not as good, I will say. No. I, I read the second and third. I could hardly stand the second. The third got better, and then I've never I, picked up the fourth. Yeah, fashion. I feel like I did like the second book. The first, second, and third, I was like, I was dealing with it just fine, and then it just really goes off the rails. It's really crazy, but... The second book... Well, one, I think the first book was just... Here's the main thing major spoiler for other books <laughs> the set and changes and i just yeah. was like i i get why it makes sense mm. but i just wanted them to be back in scotland going through these like fun scottish adventures and I, I didn't care about the aristocracy of france i could not agree more one of some of the char- most charming things about this book are just being in scotland and the fact that you only get that in one book of a nine book series is pretty hilarious fair you say hilarious but honestly it's so ridiculous <laughs> yeah. i know she should have at least kept him there for at least two books mm-hmm. at least till the uprising happens i mean come on i totally agree well, she didn't all right but you know we sat here and critiqued her the woman has made a dadgum fortune off these books yes she has so you go diana and this sucker contributed to it i mean i read <laughs> them all i i it, there's just something about it that really does kind of sweep you away if in all of this lunacy for sure all right then our next book is not going to be quite as um as scaling <laughs> i don't know um i believe it's going to be trevor noah's born a crime is that right i think you're right speaking truth here let me pull it up and see um yes it is unless we're putting out dopamine nation yeah separately. I, think, I think we're doing um born a crime next okay i gotta say i just finished it i gotta give it a major plug y'all gotta read this book so interested. i can't wait to talk about it it's been on my hope list it it came up and i wasn't ready to read it and so i went back on the hope list but i'm really excited to read it as well it's a good one all right. Well, we've talked for an hour and a half. <laughs> we had a lot to say. Some trimming will be done, but yes, I I mean, what can I say? It's just part of who we are is loving and hating Outlander. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll talk to you later. Bye. See ya. Hi, Lucy. Hey, Kippen. What's going on? Um, nothing much. Just finished a Baby Bell cheese. Baby Bell. Baby Bell. I don't know. All I know 
is that I love them and now I get to play with the wax while we're recording. <laughs> oh, there's something about like the sensation of having something within your hands that just preoccupies. Jared is like always stunned that one of my secret abilities, my hidden talents, is that I can make really good little um animal figurines with baby bell cheese wax. Some little wax art going on. <laughs> He's always like oh, this is an amazing did you make this snake? And I'm like, actually yes I did. A snake. <laughs> no, look, no, I'm thinking, like... I thought you were thinking like a panda or like I don't know. No, like a deep a, detail. Like a, coiled, like a coiled cobra. That's one of my faves. Oh, Listen, nice. I'm not saying they're actually good. I'm just saying that he gasses me up. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and he's ready to just really praise me for my my baby bell cheese art. Listen, a true spouse, <laughs> a ride or die, if you will. Anyway, today we're going to talk about the Dutch House by Ann Patchett. Pull up the cover of the book. Look at that sticker prize for fiction. It was the Pulitzer. Nice. Yeah, it was a finalist in 2020. Um, it came out in 2019. And brief overview of the book. The book is about two siblings, Danny and Maeve, and they grow up in the Dutch house, which is a gorgeous, huge mansion home that their father buys for their family um, when they're when Maeve is very young. Maeve is quite a bit older than Danny, and they live there with their mom and their dad and their two. Um, cooks, servants, I don't know how you, but like <laughs> family um, helpers. And eventually uh, their mother abandons their family. And then after that, their father remarries a woman who they really don't like. And it basically spans the rest of their lives and how those actions of moving into the Dutch house their mother leaving and their father remarrying kind of shape who they become. Yes. You know, what's so funny is we did like the season five sizzle. Yes. When I tell you, I completely misunderstood what this book was about <laughs> completely. Every- like, well, I was reading it. I'm like, what? <laughs> Everywhere you look, it says a dark fairy tale, a fairy tale. Now, if I take the 500,000 foot view and squint my eyes, do I see what they're coming from? Yes, there are two uh, children. There is a magical home. Not a magical home, but you know what I mean. Like an air of magic about it because it's so beautiful and unique. And there's a wicked stepmother. But, but that, listen, the book is about like... Not a fairy tale. <laughs> It's like a like contemporary fiction about like family trauma. Yes. It's like there's no fantastical elements <laughs> in this story. Totally. No, I totally agree with and you. And no, I don't mean it's like it's not interesting. I just mean like it's just like like that no. that's what it is. I was like, I guess I just am dense because I was literally expecting it to almost be like a retelling of a fairy tale, like that we would have recognize i i definitely thought it, there was going to be some kind of fantasy element there is not even a lick a hair nothing <laughs> nothing to be had yes yes the book is well Go I ahead. Want... give us your star rating lazy okay i can, this i have tried 
I probably, I would say at least four different days, started this dang book. The book is, I think, I listened to the narration. It's only maybe nine hours. It took me until the third hour before the book got interesting. I just kept being like, the book, get get somewhere. Get to going somewhere. It just, so for me, it kind of killed it. I would say the book itself, once I, it got going, I did want to finish it. But to me, it can only have like a 3.75 tops because the first third of the book, nothing exciting was happening that was drawing me in. I would have definitely quit the book had it not been a podcast book. So I am like the absolute opposite. And this is really where our personal plot preferences are really gonna stick out. I give this book five stars. I loved this book. I felt so moved by parts of it and I felt like well I don't feel like Ann Patchett's writing is so it's that perfect blend of literary yet down to earth where she's describing a moment and you just really feel it and you feel like you've been there or you've lived it or something I don't know there's just it's like this down-to-earth quality that she has, where, whereas I'm thinking about, like, another super literary book that we did for the podcast, Hamnet, which I loved that book. And there's actually quite a bit more, like, I would say interesting plot in that book, but the the writing is, like, very syrupy and velvety and garnished with every, you know, so descriptive. And this book is not quite like that, but it is, it does have that like lush quality. To me, I specifically was thinking like, I feel like almost all the books that really get nominated for these big, huge awards Mm. are very stuffy. And this book really, I will say it was not like she, even like the character she embodied could have been. And like, she kind of like, she's talking about um, specifically like they're like very privileged and like, all these different little things and like, you know, like the, the wealth and, uh, you know, one of them becomes like a, what does he become? Like a sp- special surgeon, you know, yeah. but like they're super, like you said, super down to earth. And like the way she writes, it is not anything over the top. And that was actually something I always like as a reader. I can't stand a book that I'm going to have to mm-hmm. like overtly sit there. I'm like, okay. And like, is this going over my head because I'm right. dense or. Yes, it did not take itself super too seriously. It it was re she was writing it because she wanted you to like read it and enjoy it. And then sometimes when you get like these Pulitzer books, it's like, let me show you how smart I am. Right, the true flexing. True the thesaurus comes out. If I was gonna take any points off, which we'll get to, there are some aspects of the plot where I was like that is so unfeasible it's just like what why did she that's such a weird hairpin turn for it to go um however the main relationship in the book between Maeve and Danny was so like special and I loved it so much that that really it just sealed the deal for me I really really enjoyed this book yeah, the book really does focus so much on just, like, relationships. I mean, that's, like, <laughs> like the, one of the main, like, premises of this book. And, yeah, she hits, like, a lot, like, a big variety of, like, r- deep love and affection, no love and affection, some love and affection, like, a lack of love and affection. But, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, should you read it or should you listen to it? 
we both listened to it. Uh, I loved the narration. It was by Tom Hanks. But you had an issue with it. It was like, and you sent me a recording and you were, it was legit. Oh, it sounded like he was in a tin can trying to record. It was terrible. And it, why did, tell me why did Tom Hanks record this book? Has he ever done another audiobook? Uh, I, I can't answer that, but occasionally you'll see celebrities. It must be because it was a Pulitzer like prize. Uh, that's true. Maybe they pulled out like a, a big name. Yeah. I just kept being like, why this book of all the books <laughs> in the world? I mean, Danny is the main um, narration here, or it's like from his perspective in a way. So I guess they had to go with a man. But I liked it. I thought I thought old Tommy did a great. Did a he, great. I mean, right. And now, like I said, for me, the, the app that I listened to it, it sounded terrible, like the quality itself. But yeah, he did a fine job as far as like being Danny. Set up to fail. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this book. And now I'm listening to it on <laughs> an audio tape from 1985. Okay. We're going to go into spoilers. And this book is not chronological. In fact, I thought that, again, I really felt like Ann Patchett was a master of weaving all of this story together in a non-chronological way. Uh, The way that she kept like looping and looping and looping. Just trying to write a story like that myself, which I have tried, it is very hard. I was thinking about this. So like the last two books we both read have been like out of chronological order. And sometimes there's like a salacious piece tossed in that I'm like, I need an answer immediately. Like what happened? (laughs) This book for me, it was more like, like a casual mention of divorce or something. And it would kind of pique my interest, but I wasn't like, I must read the next chapter. So I'm almost like for me, if it's not immediately like attention grabbing, I'm kind of like, just, let's just go in order just you know save the divorce for when it's time to talk about the divorce like whatever so i feel like the reason why she did it was because danny himself doesn't fully comprehend everything that's going on about a situation until much later and she kind of used that as a device to keep him in the dark about certain things or certain plot points until she was ready for for you to find out at the same time as him. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, she's definitely trying to utilize in this whole thing. It's like a memory, like like the past recollection of memories and things. So it's not like, you know, it happened to him currently. So I mean, I get it. I just was kind of, again, the, the haze in my mind from the first part of this book, what, what happened in the first part of this book? I don't know. It's been a little while, but basically, He's talking about growing up in the Dutch house. Um, he's the first, I, I really didn't take any notes. Oops. Whenever I was reading this, because I just, I don't know why I just didn't, but was too enraptured. Right. It was him and Maeve's relationship. And like, I think very early on in the book, it describes how like, well, she takes care of him and like how, deep and close their relationship is and it just really I just loved their relationship I loved the way that Maeve was 
like just the best sister to him when they were young the best sister but also like not the just like sheer doting but also like the very like realistic sister yes where like would call him out on his crap kind of stuff and you're like yes that you know like it seems like a real person and not like a i don't know like he he didn't just idolize her like he they had like a very great like back and forth yeah i loved mave's character i actually would love to just go and just talk about the different characters instead of breaking down every single plot point um so let's start with danny and mave what did you think of danny himself danny himself i so i'm wondering if you were talking about like why the plot point like went a certain way and like it seemed a little crazy there were definitely times where i felt that way about danny himself where Mm. it was almost like he was just so easily manipulated like mave almost always right like had great intentions and plans for him he just like very suddenly at one point is like going to be a doctor and like doesn't give a crap at all and i just was like the amount of time effort and energy that you're putting into something you don't care about you are telling me it was so he's a very like easy to i don't want to say manipulate but easy to he would he would do absolutely anything that Maeve told him to do and yes that's the plot point i was talking about because it's not like like medical school will literally like grind your bones down to dust like it is so emotionally and physically draining on top of being incredibly hard that that part kind of blew my mind that he like uh, just I think because med school specifically if it would have been like a master's degree in something yes. it, would, it would be like okay right like business school that leads to a degree in math like who knows whatever he's good at but yeah that was crazy and like the whole reason they do it is despite the mother-in-law and like to try and drain a trust which I do feel like that was totally feasible and i could see them together like cooking up some kind of scheme but yeah just the fact that they chose medical school and that he literally never practices is was absolutely wild to me and totally unbelievable i completely agree even if you were not passionate didn't care about it wasn't like your dream if you had spent the amount of time and effort, and I also kept thinking, like, you have to actually be good at this, right? Like, yes. it's, you have to really, really be good at this. Like, you can't just, like, you know, like, BS your way through. I just, yeah, I was like, not not possible. No way. And, you know, his wife later in the book, Celeste, says something like, well, didn't you ever think about, like, you were taking somebody's spot? Who really wanted to be there? And she's totally right, especially with, um... Like, being a surgeon, like, people, I know of someone who their family was waiting around. He tried to get a match for a surgery residency, didn't get it, waited a whole nother year, and still didn't get it. And he had to, like, take something else. Like, you're just never going to be a surgeon because that's where the buck stopped. It's crazy. So, that to me was a big part of his character that I was a little, like... Hmm. Okay, sir. As a whole, he... It was interesting because I really do feel like she did a good job at, like, giving you insight into kind of a emotionally shut-off man. I mean, he definitely was emotionally shut-off, except with Maeve. But specifically, it was 
it was very uh almost creepy his relationship with celeste i don't think he ever says that he loves celeste ever does not seems to very much not care for her whenever there's a lot of like whenever he's in college and he's she's coming over and basically he doesn't even recognize she's taking care of him he's just like oh like well we're just kind of sleeping together and she's just kind of like somebody there yeah it's definitely like he's not thinking like this is my future partner this is someone i want to spend time with yeah it's more of like it's, it's it's just a body it's just a person you know like and he's like ready for her to go home like as soon as it's like sunday like goodbye see you later well and it's wild because so like mave and um danny's dad remarries this woman whose name is andrea and they can't stand their relationship like they think it's so dumb they really don't like andrea and they don't see love between them and they call no, it out constantly. They don't, but like he just in no way sees himself doing the exact same thing. Like his his dad literally just married her because it made his life a little easier. Like they joke all the time that Andrea just like kept showing up and then that's why like she finally just got put a ring on it. <laughs> but like Celeste really is the same exact thing. Yes. Well, and matter of fact, like they well them specifically like have like a similar arc where they like break up and like spend time apart mm-hmm. and then just kind of like falls back in because it's just like a familiarity you yep. know doesn't have to put in any extra effort she already knows who he is they have mm-hmm. you know some history so it's like oh whatever yeah i just thought that was so again i don't i liked that part of the book because i feel like that that tracks that he would be that emotion like he was totally abandoned by his mother when he was very very young his father was super emotionally unavailable and then leaves him an orphan basically at 15 but yeah he just was kind of just cruising through life he was very obsessed with being a real estate tycoon because that's like the family business um i the whole time i was reading it i'm like could this happen to me could i buy a parking lot for a couple thousand bucks <laughs> and, just... and just turn around and resell it seriously i i was thinking uh, several times like he so often i feel like you read these like real life stories of people who have went through things like they were um adopted or you know like they like later in life found out that who they thought was their dad wasn't their dad and like and they really want answers and things with him and his mom, it was very much like, she's gone, she's in India, oh well, bye. Like, yeah. that's it. Like, he does not want to explore it at all. And I kept being like, but wait, why? The, the, the natural curiosity. Even if you don't want to maybe form a relationship, right? Like, you don't have to do, it's not, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. But yeah, his was very much just like, okay, she's gone. Like, I don't care at all where Maeve was like the exact opposite and like really yeah. craved her mother. It, it was a definite choice for her to make this book from Danny's perspective, especially when you consider the fact that, I mean, I'm just like pulling this out of nowhere, but my guess would be that mostly women would gravitate towards this book to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so her like exploring the kind of cold, more calculated closed off emotionally unavailable man's listen 
you have just laid this man out. <laughs> like, I don't know. He, like, as much as you love this book, this character. Yes. Like, I, I like Danny. It's just like, there's just nothing. He's, it's. It's a shell of a man. It is. He's so shallow. And you're like, wait, but is it just that he's holding back? Is it a, you know, unreliable narrator thing? Or does he really just not even think about it because of trauma? I'm trying to think. Even I was thinking like some of his, or like we, I feel like we talked a lot about like as he's went to medical school and college and all these kind of things. Even like, I'm trying to think like his earlier memories really it only talks about like he likes basketball. Mm-hmm. He likes to ride with his dad and like collect the rents because that's supposed to be like his, yeah. um, his like, inheritance basically as he gets older. And that's kind of it, right? I mean, it's like very little like the pie that they make at the Dutch house. Right, <laughs> right. There's like very little like and, and he, he shares one memory, I guess, whenever um a nanny who like was uh having an not really having an affair with the dad, but like right. rather having Puppy. a relationship. I, I know, kill me. <laughs> having a relationship with the dad like actually injured him uh-huh. one time. But like yeah, like very little about I don't know, him growing up. Was just kind of surprising, or like about his personality. Yeah, it know. it is definitely a device. Like I would love a bird, and this is why I don't think it would be actually a good movie because you kind of need that. You need that second guessing about him because you gotta wonder: is he like telling Celeste, like, "Oh, I love you. Like you're the most beautiful girl in the world," or is he just think- like going on like a robot? Oh, I don't think so at all. When we get talking about Celeste, I will share more. But no, I don't. <laughs> I I really just think that she was just she wanted the title of the man, and yeah, yeah. I mean, he just I don't know. The only person he just truly had these like deep affections for really was his sister. Yeah, I mean. So let's pivot to Maeve. The name Maeve really has just grown on me so much. The first time I ever heard that name was my former boss's daughter's name is Maeve who's like a lovely person and then I have a friend right now and her little um like six-year-old is Maeve I actually was thinking how cute that was too and then later they have a May in the story and I'm like oh it's right it's far too close to what's my children's middle names (laughs) but she is oh yes that's true Lucille May well well, we can go down the baby name rabbit hole later. <laughs> I can truly love Maeve. It's a good Irish name. Um, but Maeve is probably my favorite character in the book. She is the girl that's on the cover. And I, we've talked about this in text, would literally give my right arm to have a beautiful portrait like that of my own daughter's. I love the cover of this book. I feel like the cover is, I don't know. It's just so gorgeous to me. It was definitely like, they definitely talk about like the book, like in the Dutch house, like that is one of like this, like beautiful shrine of his sister. Mm-hmm. And actually now that I think about it, I'm saying like it's in the Dutch house, but it's like, it's also like it to him. Like it, like the book is like a huge shrine to his sister. Maeve, I loved her just like you did, because of course she's very, She's very stalwart. She's a very strong person. Mm-hmm. Like her head is totally on her shoulders. And whenever she is like dealt a like a blow, she really just kind of like 
manages to keep it going. Like she just doesn't stop. Like she's got a plan. She's got a, you know, a plan of action. She knows what she's going to do. Well, and it's all of that without ambition. I mean, she is ambitious to want to be on her own. She wants to prove to her dad, for example, that she can get an apartment on her own, that she can, you know, get a job that she doesn't need him to help her. But at the same time, like she works at the same company her entire life to, for this site. And it's like, they basically write or you know, the author writes her kind of like this mathematical genius, super clever, very pretty. Um, I kind of, did you get a vibe that maybe she did have a relationship with the guy that owns the frozen food company i don't or i don't i don't think it was him but she was at one point it said she was crazy about the law hold on what was his name lawyer gooch or i literally was like please (laughs) yes it was their lawyer that said she was kind of like it was like she had like a um like a crush on him because i actually thought i was positive she was fixed to be a lesbian and that it was fixing like go down that story route but it just it almost left her a bit more asexual than anything well the only the only crush I remember her having is on the painter who paint, like she was like a little girl when she was a child. Yes. And she loved the painter that did um, that portrait of her for the Dutch house. Um, I don't remember the lawyer Gooch thing. That's so funny. I remember reading that somewhere. I know. I was like, (laughs) terrible name. (laughs) So yes, Maeve specifically, I love that when they're, I would guess that out in the world, Maeve is probably a lot like Danny, where she's maybe a little cold, a little aloof, like finds it hard to maybe emotionally connect. And I only say that because, yes, she's like a lifelong spinster. She (laughs) doesn't she lives in like a really small, like quaint little home. I, I really admire that about her character, that she just has her stuff she's totally fine with it and she is happy enough um but I do feel like her mother leaving her and then her father kind of not caring about her yeah not caring about her in the same way because I'm I have like a lot of stuff running through my head right now but it really did I think stunt her ability to move forward in life like she was way too oh, for sure with her bitterness and also with making sure that danny was successful she definitely um drove the boat on danny's life and <laughs> allowed herself to kind of just like mm-hmm. be happy with and content with where she was at right i, I was just constantly shocked by the father's like callousness towards her just like I, I say callous, but just like it seemed totally oblivious, mm-hmm. and it drove me crazy from a parent's perspective. You always this kind of goes back to the fairy tale thing. It's like a lot, like a trope in old books, and maybe not fairy tales, but maybe like like a like a Regency novel or something would be that like you know a child's mother uh, or. A mother dies in childbirth and the father can never look at the baby again because it reminds their them too much of their dead wife. Or in this case, the wife runs off 
and the child reminds him way too much of the wife so it's kind of like he just ignores her for the rest of her life ignores her and he also like just several of the things like whenever they're preparing for like an education it's like oh like well your dad provided nothing for you because he said you're fine yes just the blatant disregard for it oh even whenever danny's like oh like you know he loves saturdays like getting a ride with his dad see the tenants all this stuff it's like yeah may was never invited along like she never got to do these kind of special Mm -hmm. uh you know like one-on-one time with like our dad aka the only parent we have left Uh, oh it just it stuff like that really hurts my heart for these fictional characters i'm like this is ridiculous but it i mean that it's all designed to do exactly that the other thing i loved is how they her and danny when they would like have their little sleepovers at her apartment and then they would go and sit outside the Dutch house and, like, smoke cigarettes and just, like, talk <laughs> crap about Andrea and, like, reminisce about their past. And that was, like, the most human that Danny ever was. But also, I don't know. It just was so true to life. Like, I could totally see why they would be obsessed with returning and, like, spying a little bit and, like... Right, holding no. grudges, like holding justifiable grudges. Totally. I some of those it did make me laugh too because I believe Mae was seven years older than Danny, mm-hmm. and I'm eight years older than my youngest brother. And I was thinking like whenever when I got married, and like he was still like he was like thirteen years old, fourteen, <laughs> like super young. And I remember like getting him on the weekend sometimes. We'd ha- you know, and like I was thinking like, oh, this is this is very. That's what I mean like where it's not stuffy, where it's like super felt very believable. That I'm like, yeah. Like, I can see, like, a younger sibling, like, literally thinking it's so exciting to go to your big sibling's house. And, like, you know, you're not really doing anything, right? But, like, they feel just like, oh, like, so, oh, like I'm, I'm with a mature sibling. We're going to get to do stuff. <laughs> I also love that you see the only other times that you see Danny's, like, truly human side is when, so, because Maeve has type 1 diabetes, and when he has to care for her when she is ill or when she has to, like, he gets really mad at her, I think, because it was, like, after his daughter's um, recital. And, like, she's kind of sitting there, like, having issues with her blood sugar. And, like, I don't know. You, like, that child, like, wanting to take care of her, also being really afraid that she is something's actually wrong. But then he has this moment where he has this whole fantasy about, like, the two of them going out and seeing all his buildings and getting a late dinner. And then maybe she'll come back to the house and spend the night. And, like, that was one of the very few moments where Danny seemed like a real, like, living, breathing human, you know? (laughs) It was so cute because he really, like... He idolized her and, like, like really recognized that she could have done more or been more, but, like, was held back for certain things or, like, through because of certain circumstances. Totally. Yeah. I, we th- need- their, their relationship was so sweet. Yeah. We need to talk about the triangle that is Danny, Maeve, and Celeste. Celeste's oh, wife. Nice. He mentions early on that, like, actually it was Celeste and her or and and Maeve that like hit it off first and then I don't remember why they kind of turned on one another is it just that she just didn't want 
her. I think I think Celeste honestly really recognized that she really couldn't hold a candle yeah. relationship wise to yeah. Maeve. Like yeah. he just had such a devotion towards her mm-hmm. and just did not have that for her. And I think Maeve then kind of began to see like that she maybe didn't love Danny for who he was, but what she thought he was going to be, aka like, doctor. <laughs> she thought she was about to be a doctor's wife. And she I- was like, I'm um Mrs. Doctor uh Danny, whatever his last name is. <laughs> right. Conroy. And don't get me wrong, like it would be honestly, it would be devastating if I stood by a man through literally all the way to be a surgeon. And then day one, he's like, I'm never practicing medicine. I can, t- like, that's she, what- she did know from day one, though. I she mean, did. I guess she kind of like, yeah, she, she, she didn't believe, I think she, she wanted to be a doctor, right? Yes. I, she just never thought, like, I think that it was, that he would actually go through with the fact of not practicing. Would but it was like, oh, like, why would he devote his time to this? Like, he'll, he'll just do it. Would you feel embarrassed? <sighs> embarrassed i it depends the, i think the, it would depend on do we have medical debt do we have and they didn't actually not they, didn't, they didn't have any debt if we'd have had like half a million dollars in insane medical debt then H- <laughs> yes yes i would be deeply embarrassed living paycheck to paycheck or probably even less i don't know i, I think would I still introduce him as Dr. Danny? Sure. Oh. <laughs> sure. That, Listen, you can have a doctorate without that is being true. a medical doctor. But that would have, as Danny, and he was embarrassed, that really would have embarrassed me so much. <laughs> like when the child, like, what, steps on a nail or something, just like, <gasps> let Danny do it. He's a doctor. Listen, he's got medical expertise. <laughs> They're like, what? You're like, I am not. Doesn't he uh, pick up? <laughs> pick up properties on the side hmm. uh i i would feel embarrassed at first but once he had proven himself like he was so it's not like he graduated and had an existential crisis he truly just like went whole hog and like formed an empire very quickly so i, <sighs> I he really, fell in his daddy's steps yeah i struggled with her at that point i was like okay stop being a brat I to me more th- that stuff didn't bother me near as much as how she would constantly pit him like but her versus Maeve yeah. because I just kept thinking at, uh, excuse me thinking of it from the perspective of this is really all that he has this is Seriously. the only person he really cares for and why do you want to isolate him from her yeah. Like, is is that necessary to do that, to, to change your relationship with him? Now, later in their marriage and later in Maeve's life, when she's, like, kind of having health issues, I would agree that he was spending way too much time there, way too much time and energy on there. But that by that point, it's like, yeah, because he's checked out of his marriage. He doesn't care about right. Celeste anymore. He loves his kids, especially May, because she looks just like Maeve. But early on, I totally agree with you. Like, she really put the nails in her own coffin by being like, it's her or me. And he's like, well. Whenever what? his literally beloved sister doesn't want to take like a one hour train to see the city at all. Yeah. Because 
because she lives there in this like major metropolitan like yes this is a this is a red flag for not a healthy relationship the only thing i could see is i can almost guarantee because mave has such a strong personality that she was not uh she didn't pull any punches with kind of letting celeste know that she felt like he wasn't she wasn't good enough for him i i am trying to remember did it reference this in the book huh did it reference anything like that in the book i can't quite it did because she was very upset with him that he was getting married see i remember her plan of the wedding i don't um at first she really liked celeste but then after a while she's like why are you gonna make like you're just marrying her because you're bored or like because you think you should or whatever and it's true everything which again calling him out like (laughs) right is totally true but then I'm thinking like after that I'm sure that Maeve was never like oh but I'm still gonna treat you like a beloved sister I think she probably held it against her a little bit and as a sister to three brothers I can relate to feeling very I don't know, just like you just want the absolute best for them. Very protective. Especially like. uh, yes, especially as the oldest sister. Like it feel the mantle is upon your shoulders. You you must protect them. See, neither one of my brothers are married yet, so I'm I'm like, I will let you know whatever they do. <laughs> um yeah. So Celeste for me, I just never really cared for her danny in his memories never cares for her he's just there's just like you said like there's never any like expressions of love or any like it is literally just like good old celeste yeah i'm trying to think was there ever (laughs) even like a positive thing like the most positive is like whenever she what like is she have a heart attack or like she nearly dies or something happens to Maeve and like she sends like a card or flowers or something and like that really meant a lot to him and that's kind of like the biggest emotional outpouring you see between the two of them. Oh yeah. I, the only other part is when he does that, they like break up and they get back together and he realizes like all of the things that she was doing behind the scenes for him. But it literally is just like, yeah, we know it's nice to have a wife. This is also three or four years after they've been separated, right? So it's like, it took you this many (laughs) years to recognize this. Wait, my sheets are clean more <laughs> and not Idiot. the following month seriously such a it was uh, okay next we gotta up, talk about the dad yes cyril we can cyril. talk about the parents we can talk about cyril and <sighs> man, what's her name oh, oh hold on i don't know the mom's name her name is do 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 um elna her name is elna what a terrible born name i'm sorry <laughs> actually is that one of the gals from npr is it elna baker yes elna baker okay. well, that's the only other elna i've ever heard of in my life i, I think agree with you. yeah i it is an odd name it reminds me of like edna yeah see and i'm thinking the more common elsa but it just doesn't sound as good but sorry elna to the elnas out there elf is supposed to be literally the most humble man she's a weird character i gotta think 
she is really given this kind of pass by Maeve and then also by the author herself, I feel, where it's like at the tail end of the book, you kind of find out like she's like the most ultimate self-sacrificing, like she can't, she leaves everybody because she can't embody this poor lifestyle that she wants to and she feels so much guilt and shame and it's like, huh? It is very like poor little martyr me. Like she is, it's it's interesting. And being that giving, she actually did like probably the most selfish thing that a woman who has children can do. I because I was thinking like you can if you really feel guilty that you are in a privileged position and other people aren't. What are some things you could do, right? Like. Could you cook your own meals? Like, you don't have to have a house cleaner if that makes you feel bad and, like, a cook. Like, do those things yourself. You can give money away to charity. You can be involved in organizations. And, like, she basically wants this, like, non existence, Mm -hmm. like, constantly serving. And I just was like, when you, like, you're saying, when you've had kids, you have to just shift things around. Yeah. You just have to. And so for her, just like up and abandon them and then just kind of be like, well, I, I thought I was doing the right thing. It's like, okay, well, you really screwed up like a lot of people's lives. So I can't just forgive you. No, like willy nilly. Right. And I, I really came out of it still struggling to figure out what Ann Patchett wanted you to feel about her besides just pure out discomfort because the fact of the matter is, I can't imagine a person like this exists. A person that would up and leave her child who was, who was, what, seven, eight years old? I think, yeah. Nine? They were, I think it was like 10 and three-ish. But like, yes, but certainly two very young, Especially very impressionable. If she was unhappy with her marriage okay knowing that she's now leaving the children with a very closed off cold man who does not align with her values anymore i i I was thinking the exact same thing that you said where it's like does this person exist i have read (laughs) about characters like this specifically in like christian uh fiction where it's like you have like a character that really like almost like embodies like a, a jesus christ type like savior you know deal because i can't the just a natural person is so selfish to the point that you're not going to want to like live in the streets versus like have this insane mansion and n- the comforts. Like that's just going to be, I, I just, I just don't think it's feasible or like possible. I don't know. Somebody, if, if I'm wrong, please let us know. I would love to know if there's real people out there. Out there. Um, and you know, you saying that reminded me, I think I do know what Ann Patchett wanted us to think now that you said the Jesus thing, because she makes a comment that like saints do this kind of stuff all the time. And like, like, if you think about it, like Jesus and the, the apostles probably had to leave their family to like go do their ministry. The ministry. Right. Yeah. So she's making the comment that, like, as soon as it is a woman or a mother, it's, like, unspeakably horrible. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. 
I mean, I guess the thing is like you can do again, you can do missionary yes. work if you're passionate about it without totally. the all or nothing Two, like so in our church, we talk, you know, we have missionaries that go out and serve for a set amount of time. She's gone about their whole lives. Yes. She never tries uh, to come back until Maeve nearly dies. And she's what? Almost 50. Yeah. So it's like she literally. Lo- I was oh. absolutely so weirded out that Maeve accepted her. I mean, she makes the comment. See, I was not. That was, I believed that right yeah. away. I was like, I can, I know people that would do stuff like this that have basically pined their whole life away for a lack of a relationship. And so, and if it was, and whenever it's initiated, immediately forgave, immediately was like, you know what? That's more important to me. Like, I can forget all, everything right. else because I want this so badly. I guess it's just so far and away from where I'm at. I'm like, could never be me. Could never be me. I well, and seeing that, it, it honestly was a nice parallel between like Maeve and Danny, where it's like Danny uh-huh. was exactly like, like, excuse me, like I, I didn't want you to come back in my life, and I don't need you here, and why are you here? Where Maeve was definitely like, I am so starved for attention and affection, like she would just take whatever. And her mom at that point didn't want to give her crumbs, but like you know, even if she would have, Maeve would have accepted it. But the mom like was really like sorrowful and. Yeah, and once she's there, it's so interesting to like Fluffy, for example. So the character of Fluffy is like the nanny, and they called her Fluffy because she had big fluffy red hair. But like how she just kept being like, "But your mom, like, she's such an angel. Like she's such an angel." And I'm thinking, like, there's no way that this woman doesn't have serious mental health issues. Okay, absolutely. And also, from Danny's perspective, is Danny thinking this woman's an angel? I, I would honestly be deeply no. offended. Like, okay, I see that you're trying to, like, talk positively, but this woman has completely left me. Yeah. Like, she, sure, she's an angel for everyone else, and yeah. then, like, treats me like this. Yeah. Like, let it go, honey. Let yeah. it go. We, Fluffy, real quick, I know we said we're going to talk about Cyril. How, could you ever allow somebody that has har- physically harmed you to come in and take care of your baby, your uh, newborn baby? You know, after, okay, take this for what it is. Probably not, no. But after Fluffy kind of gave her side of that story, I actually forgave Fluffy in my heart. And I was glad that she was there for him at that time. I The fact that he forgave her was fine. But the fact that he knew that she could be unstable to the point of, like, causing physical harm to him. Right. And then he would allow her in his own home. It was, it was. No. Uh, I, I never, never could be me. Especially because at that time. No, you're right, because at that time, this would have been a, even if he was super annoying or something, this would have been a three to four year old that had been completely abandoned by his mother and was almost like looking at Fluffy as new mommy. So even if it wasn't as bad as his memory had it be, like it was still pretty bad kind of thing. I, that, anyways that just that threw me for a loop where I was like right and now I would like you said I was glad that he did have the relationship with her and even yeah. Celeste really benefited from that relationship but yeah 
I just was like, there's no way I would have ever, ever hired that woman in my home. Could I have her over maybe for a Sunday dinner, <laughs> casual kind of thing? Right. But she would never be taking care of my child, me knowing what she's capable of. Seriously. Anyways. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot of imperfect people in this book. It just, yeah, it's just interesting. I guess good child care is very hard to find. I'll tell you that one. <laughs> Listen, but I wouldn't be thinking she's providing the good child care. That's what I kept thinking. She did. She, uh, at the end of the day, you know, she ended up being fine. But I just roll my eyes. I'm sorry if this offends anybody out there. I would certainly like to have it. But at Celeste herself being like, I can't do it on my own. And she has like one child and needs a Listen, nanny all the time she has one child she does at the time she wasn't working she was i literally was thinking like wow must yeah. be nice <laughs> back to the privilege listen here that said danny is very used to having like hired servants yeah. around, so is like, hard oh. servants is that like what do you call it? Is that pc is that what you'd call them a i servant? think it is it feels dirty on my tongue well see i because I, i'm like hired help uh, hired servant i'm thinking like this sounds they, <laughs> oh, <no>. they were <laughs> they <lived laughs> everything servant. i know so, so many people in their little house I, I love the set of sisters cannot jocelyn maybe and somebody else um i don't they like the, more people that yes they just like kept it real and just were like on their side okay kibben we've got to talk about cyril and we got to talk about uh andrea okay so cyril and andrea i mean cyril's just like a drop in a bucket he was just like a poopy crappy father he just he loved his son yeah. didn't give a dang about his daughter <laughs> he loved his business was very fair it sounded like and just so oblivious like so the other huge character in this book is the dutch house and mm-hmm. I loved the way that they wrote about the house. I loved, like, picturing it in my mind. <clears throat> but just, I will say it would have been horrifying to think of, like, you living in a little shack with your child, eating rice and beans every night, not knowing that your husband is hoarding money and then goes and buys a derelict mansion without, like, asking you twice about it. <laughs> He was just thinking, like, this would be the ultimate surprise. Seriously. <laughs> Which, so, I mean, honestly, if I'm living in a shack, do I want to then be moved to a mansion? Yes. Yeah, yes, I do. Right, right. But <laughs> he was not aware of who he had married. That I mean, that goes right on back. These, both these male characters with literally, like, no awareness to who they're married to. Just <sighs> absolutely oblivious. Like father, like son. Andrea, though, is a much more interesting character. He was like classic, reminded me exactly of the would-be stepmother from the parent trap. <laughs> oh, I actually good point. Except for she was a mother and she loved her own children. She did, but isn't it funny how like they didn't even like know she had kids until they were <laughs> engaged? Look, she literally was like, what can I do to get this man? She was like trying her best, like hook, line, and sinker this man. So she's like, I will just look as beautiful as possible. Mm-hmm. I will be as present as possible. And I will provide as little um, uh, uh, things that may uh, make him appear that I am negative in any like shape or fashion. So, yeah, she just, she tucked all that wickedness in until the ring was on that finger. 
And now we've talked a lot about the things that we can't imagine happening in real life. The thing I can imagine in real life is an adult woman being so childish and wretched that she would basically steal every last time from her stepchildren. That act, I that uh, that happens all the time. Yes, I mean, it does. It does. What was again? This the dad. The dad is laid out as a very meticulous, yes. very intelligent. But so I'm supposed to believe all these things. Mm-hmm. He's very fair. He doesn't. He just signs all of his kids' money away. Like it sounds like he never had a will, which is not all that uncommon i thought it was basically said like that she like she cajoled him into Mm. like putting the business in her like putting everything in her name that is true she said that basically they went there to set up the trust for the education and she's like while we're here you should put me on the rights of everything which i actually don't believe that he would have put her name on the business no, i don't well, that's what i mean i don't either not the business him and his son every single weekend attended or doesn't even like i mean so let you mean <laughs> andrea one in the same again right say again <laughs> yeah i he also there were several times that he just kind of like deferred to her where i just was like son have, have a backbone let's i mean you know you, you ain't gotta fight tooth and nail constantly i get that that's not everybody's um mo but like some i don't know it was just a lot for me to think of somebody somebody providing everything and then this person comes in and basically like takes it all over like while he's still alive what and I, certainly does after he's dead what i appreciated was that while she had children they weren't made into like the wicked evil stepsisters. I actually really like how the ch- the Norman Bright were um, portrayed. I too made the note that was like, who, who on planet Earth would name their first child Norma, <laughs> their second child Bright, and then later you find out her name was what like Bernadette or something. Bernice. Bernice. Oh, Bernice. But still, right? Brought was it, it was it was far too much. I that was actually I think one of the only things that I had to comment to you because I'm like this is the stupidest. <laughs> it's just bizarre. Get out of here. I I love the ending of this book where one Andrea has dementia. Okay, I felt like that was good all around for everybody because it really hopefully gave Maeve specifically some real peace at the although she was so upset with her mom I don't know the okay right so we, we at this point we've got Maeve nearly died her mom came in lives with her yeah. her mom being the um out for sainthood as we have yeah. aforementioned decides that whenever they they see the dutch house that they should go and like what does she want to like talk to andrea yeah anyways they find out like she she's clearly she's not in like a state of like able to talk and instead she's like you know what i should care for her and of course Maeve is like hold on this woman 
took our entire inheritance away, kicked my brother out of his house, forced me to raise him. Like she, she slept on the couch while poor Danny was like sleeping in her room and eventually had to go to like a boarding school. Right. And then like the mom is like paying penance by taking care of her. It's like, ma'am. I, I literally was like, okay, if I'd have been Maeve, I'd have been like, absolutely no. I, I, I will put my I, foot down. I'm pretty sure Maeve was like about to start breaking crap. And I would have been this, I would have felt the exact same way. I, I can't imagine who, the level of humility that we're talking between that you would, that Maeve and the mama would have had to have went through. I just, oh. I just, is it possible? Mm, I don't think so. Well, and then I don't it, know. It, so so sad that Maeve passes away like not that long after while she's still really in the thick of struggling with that the I mean the mom is just like she just doesn't care she's she's so out to be good that she's actually terrible like because if she's so (laughs) it's not is it being oblivious or is it just Uh, what is it you know that saying that it's like it's better to be oh, what is it? Is it it's like is it better to be right or I don't know, I'm butchering this. Better to be Look, I can't even look it up on my phone. I can't get off this. <laughs> so you're on your own. Oh uh, like oh, it's more important to be kind than to be right. I mean, there's like lots of different ways to say that. Okay. And I, I just think of like Perhaps the absolute most noble thing would be for her to take care of Andrea in some psychotic way. But the fact is, Andrea's got a lot of money. Andrea is loaded. She's already got a gal. She's already got a freaking nurse. It doesn't have to be you. It's like makes everything is always about her. And how it, she, yeah, that's true. She feels some weird connection to the Dutch house where she needs to atone for some sin gone by. Then at that point, buy the dang Dutch house from the gal. Seriously. <laughs> that could it, be your atonement. It's just so weird. But anyway, I love that moment between Norma and Maeve. And Maeve was like, I should have come for you. Like, I should have, I shouldn't have left you alone here. And it really just, like, pricked my heart because... That's who Maeve is. And I know that she probably felt guilty about that for years. I honestly wanted way, way more expounded on that because yeah. Norma at one point is, but her and Bright, like Bright doesn't even come home. Mm-hmm. Norma says something along the lines of like a terrible childhood yeah. where I'm thinking like, okay, she was, I think maybe nine, 10, mm-hmm. whenever they took over the, uh, or the, everybody else left except for her, her mom and her sister. And then I'm thinking, like, okay, there's so much money. They had such a potential for, like, having an easygoing life, right? Like, there's nobody else interfering. The mom can hire whoever she wants to come in. Like, I think it was she loves her kids. So I'm like, what was the problem? I think she did love her kids, but I think she was still like very self obsessed, very wrapped up in her own um, happiness, and was probably very cold. And calculating probably made a lot. I think it almost at some like very um, uh, what am I trying to say? Obsessed with how things look. Like 
putting your best foot forward in a toxic level. Like the whole reason she married this man was to get her clutches on money and the Dutch house. So that's not going to be a woman that's going to be super supportive of her preteen daughter if she's a little chunky or if she, I don't know. What does she become? She becomes an oncologist, right? She's like a pediatric oncologist or something like that. She's a doctor. I know. So you just think that she'd be so like. But she only did that because her mother basically forced her to in the way that Maeve did because she wanted to keep up with the Joneses. Like, oh, if Danny's a doctor, then Norma's going to be a doctor. Again, two people we're supposed to believe can make it into and through (laughs) med school. Mm. Uh, it's a plot know. hole for me I, i'm thinking of norma as like a little poor little child who's smart enough and that is just really ground down under her mother's thumb and she does it i mean listen i mean right but what neither one of these people want to rebel and just say yeah. no yeah i mean bright did so yeah that's right she's a yogi yeah what, what that was she like that was all she was was like a yoga teacher and and i mean her curse comes true like Maeve kind of curses her that like her daughters will hate her one day and they kind of do andrea i feel like there's so much more to even be said about her but ultimately just just so evil yeah scumbag person can you seriously serious business here can you imagine you know the trauma that this 15 year old has went through and you're like oh i'm uncomfortable get out of this house your your house especially when the whole i mean she never really liked them out of like just pettiness but the fact that it all goes back to the fact like that they didn't call her when the father died and like they were they were basically kids i mean that was a total excuse yeah right that's not their responsibility be mad at the secretary okay right but see she'd been mad at the secretary that's why the secretary didn't call her so she didn't treat her with respect so that just goes back to say you act like somebody's a servant that's and they're gonna treat you <laughs> i i do poorly. think that it's derogatory to say servant but not in like a bad word just like you know probably right. wouldn't want to be called a servant right there's probably other words out there <laughs> yeah i just her her character i just I don't know. You, ha- I mean, honestly, you, before I started the book, you were like, "Oh, like this is almost time to talk about the plot." I felt like you were kind of like saying, "Like it didn't just like go all over the place, kind of thing." And like, so she really was the crux of like the yeah. bad, yeah, right, like the bad news kind of thing. And so, yeah, you this, had to have this book is small in plot. I mean, it it spans a lot of years, but it is about a very insular little story it's not super it's it's a character driven book it's not a plot driven book yeah definitely you're right there's maybe what 10 care literally 10 characters focuses on tops yep yeah i mean does dan ever have a friend (laughs) the doctor that's what i was thinking (laughs) like the professor (laughs) who doesn't understand him whatsoever (sighs) Whenever he was just shocked that he was like not gonna like pursue being a daughter, and I'm like, sir, he said it from like the moment he's met you. He's not gonna be a doctor. I don't know. Okay, the Dutch house. Uh, yeah, still loved it. 
well, it was interesting. Once it got going, it did. I was like, okay, like I, I felt a little more invested in the plot. It just, <laughs> it just drug it out at first. Just a lot of killing me to get there. Uh, well, I guess I will talk to you later. Bye. See ya.